I just want to welcome uh, not only you, but our viewing audience to the teaching ministry, the word ministry of PWAC, Providence Worshiping Arts Center, Highway 341 North, Jessup, Georgia. We're glad you tuned in. One thing better than that uh, might work out for you if you could just come out here one Friday night and hear what God's got to say to you. <clears throat> um, you got this kind of throat thing going on, and I hope you can understand me. Uh, if I have to snort or whatever or do that and get some uh, water, just bear, bear, with, bear with me. <laughs> bear with me. And uh, we just kind of get through this thing, okay? don't really quite know how long I'm going to speak that. I do have something on my mind I want to share with you. i got something I think is hilarious <clears throat> I'm going to share with you in just a little while. But uh, start off kind of on a serious note. I was wondering how I was going to introduce this message, and, and lo and behold, uh, uh, Sister Audrey gets up here, and she, she about preaches it for me before I get up here, which, you know, that's all confirmation. You know, that's, that's right. That's all confirmation. And uh, so it's, it's been a good evening, and I enjoyed what God was saying through her and what God did through the music and the ministry time. And... Um, just going to, let me just kind of kick in and say this. Um, we're in a period of time right now called, uh, on, on, in the biblical holiday calendar called the High Holy Days. Started with Yom Kippur this week. It's a 10 day period which leads up to the biblical Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. Now, Yom Kippur is a biblical feast that God ordained that Israel should keep and remember yearly. Um, way back in the Old Testament, you might remember that uh, he instituted uh, the Day of Atonement. It was a day of fasting. It was a very solemn assembly. And uh, the high priest would go into the most holy places with, with, the, with, the, sacri- with the blood of the sacrifice and, and, and sprinkle the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant and ask for forgiveness for the sins of God's people for the previous year. And uh, terminology is it's kind of rolled the sins back. But... It was a weak shadow, and all of the biblical feasts are shadows and they're types. They have built into them about Jesus. Okay, Jesus is in all the feasts, and they're a testimony to Israel and to us about the work of Jesus, our Savior. And the Day of Atonement reminds us about Christ's sacrifice and what he has accomplished for us on Calvary. And I'm going to talk about that some tonight. And, and it was a very solemn Really serious time. It's, it's, it's one of the only times in the scripture, maybe the only time, where God actually commanded a fast. For the most part, fasts were voluntary, but he commanded a fast. And they fasted all day. And then had the ritual at the, at the temple or the tabernacle. And um, they remembered how God, through the blood sacrifice, would roll the sins back for another year. It's just the way it is. Now, it was a solemn time, and so Yom Kippur came this week, but, but also, you know, we, we, we're living in a sobering day. You know, every day right now, our life is changing because of the situation in our economy, in our culture, and in the world. Uh, the situation that exists today is not like the one that existed yesterday, which is not like the one that was two weeks ago, which was not like the one a month ago, and so on and so forth. And so everything is changing. Things are not the way they were. And a lot of people, uh, it's bothering a lot of people, to be honest with you. If you've been watching the TV, you know that our politicians do not have the answer. 
We cannot afford in this country, in this nation, to point fingers and say, well, you're to blame, or this group is to blame, or that person is to blame. I'm going to be real honest with you. 99.9% of us are to blame with what we have facing us today. Maybe you played no party in it, but I did. Okay? But our politicians are clueless. They don't have, a, they don't have any idea what to do with this economic crisis that we have in our country, which is affecting the global markets around the world. You see, <clears throat> I'll go ahead and say this. My God's throne does not sit in the midst of Wall Street. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think he gives a flying rip less about Wall Street. And the further I go in this thing, I don't give a flying rip less about it either. You know what Wall Street is? And I'll just go ahead and give a little thing. If, if you don't want to be offended, you just go ahead and need to get up and leave. And it's okay, won't think less of you. But I'm probably going to offend you before we get through here tonight. Because God's offended me by this whole thing. And I'm going to spread the joy. Spread that good feeling. <clears throat> Wall Street... I don't think it's an institution of God. I think it's something that, uh, that uh, it's an institution that was come up with out of our culture and out of our nation. And we showed the rest of the world how to do this thing. It's called uh, capitalism. And we built a system and we distributed around the world. And other countries built one just like it. Japan has a stock exchange. London has one. Uh, give me some help here. Asia has one. There's lots. Russia has one. Everybody's got, a, everybody's got a stock market, and they're all not doing real well right now. lady came into our furniture store today, and uh, she's an employee of the state, and she was real concerned. She was telling me about her 401K, about how she had lost, uh, I think it was $4,000 in the last two or three weeks in her 401K. Now, I'm not going to say I, I don't care about that, because I do care about that, okay? But I want to share with you something tonight about the economic state that we're in. And I want to share with you something about the God we serve in response to that, that I think I needed clarity on, and I think the Christian community needs clarity on it. Uh, and I'll just go right up and say, you know, what we see happening in our country today. Um, you know, people don't like to hear what I'm about to say. But what's going on in our country today, and I may be totally wrong if I am, forgive me. I think it's nothing short of the correcting hand of God. It's nothing short of his judgment on us for killing babies, for tolerating licentious lifestyles, for trusting in our own power and means and the strength of our own hand as opposed to his, uh, for not raising uh, our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm not saying that you don't do that. I'm saying we as a society haven't done that. And so I think there's lots of reasons for this, but God is, God's got us in a correcting mode. And if we live in denial of that, I think we'll stay in this situation a long, long time. But I think if we embrace that, and as it was mentioned earlier, 
You know, we need, we need people to be praying for our country and our nation. And we need, this, we need repentance and we need restoration. But we need to spend some time in God's furnace. I'm going to tell you. You know, I don't like where we are any better than you do, but we need to spend some time in the furnace. Because we have not been there most of our lives. And we have allowed dross and we've allowed things to grow in our lives that have went unpruned and untaken off. And um, we just, we need to spend some time in the fire. And we're entering into that right now. And I'll tell you what else I believe. I believe that God is going to save our nation. I believe that. That's where my hope is. I believe that... um, I believe in the end, any way you want to define this, in the end, everything's going to be all right. I don't know how you want to define that, but that's what I believe. Because I have hope in in what's right here. Uh, Wise man in this book said a couple things. He said uh, he'd never seen the righteous forsaken or or the Lord's seed begging bread. I stand on that. He says that his mercies are new every morning. He says that his love is everlasting. He says that he daily loads his people with benefits. You know? It goes on and on and on about talking about how he has made promise and provision for his people. See, God's provision, regardless of the economic situation we live in, God's provision is still extended. And it's still effective. The problem is we haven't learned how to recognize what God's provision is. Because we've created our own definition of what God's provision really is. And I think it's something that's not what he intended. Now I want to talk tonight about, not Yom Kippur, but I want to talk about the sacrifice of Christ. I'm going to go to Hebrews 10. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Hebrews 10. I'm going to read a lot of scripture and I'm going to comment some on it. But um, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the sacrifice, the temple sacrifices, and what they could not do, as opposed to what Christ's sacrifice did do. And the direct benefit that we receive because of Christ's sacrifice. Hebrews 10, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those same sacrifices, which they did continually year by year make, those who approach perfect. What he's saying here is that the Torah, or the law of God, had shadows and symbols of something good to come, and that something good to come was Jesus. And it had sacrifices in there to demonstrate what Christ would do. It says, but, but even with those sacrifices, made year after year after year, could not make those who approached that perfect. In other words, it was good typology. It was good symbolism, and it told a story which represented the coming of Christ and what he was going to do. But those things they did every year, over and over and over again, on the Day of Atonement, could never make the worshiper nor the priest perfect. There was a lack in it. Now I think it's interesting, although it's very plain that they couldn't make the worshiper or the priest perfect, 
I think it's real interesting that the Jewish priesthood and the culture as a whole actually began to approach keeping the law to make them perfect. And that became a, that became a goal. And they never learned to, to rest in what God was going to do or did do in the person of Christ. They, they never learned to rest there. They sort of took everything on their own shoulders and, and it was left up to them. And if anything was going to get done, they'd have to do it themselves. And the more they concentrated on their own effort, the further and further and further away they moved from God and the less receptive they became to the person of Christ and the work that He did. And so, even though they were good things, they moved, they took those things and they tried to observe them and they moved in the wrong direction rather than allowing those things to minister to their spirit and hear the word of the Lord and see the work of Christ and move toward Him. And if you don't get anything else tonight, I want to encourage you, move toward Him. Don't go off on your own and your own little tangents and your own little ways and make your, make your own little symbols and sacrifices and rituals. Don't fool yourself or justify yourself into thinking that the way you're doing things is the right way to get to God. You need to embrace what Christ has done because since He has made His sacrifice, there is now no more sacrifice for sin. And there's no other way to God the Father except through Christ the Son. And we've got to remember that. And there's a world out there, believe it or not, there's a world out there who hasn't heard that yet. And there's probably people living in this county who don't know anything about the gospel. That would be a surprise to us. But I guarantee you they're here. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation a few years ago with three little boys. Pine Street Apartment Complex. Two of them didn't have a clue about who Jesus was. And the other one knew him through a Sunday school class at his grandma's church. Let's go a little further. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Those are the words of Christ. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. That's like Jesus talking to God. He said, All these sacrifices, God Father, you didn't desire. You didn't have pleasure in them. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. You've prepared me a body, now I'm going to do your will because that's where it rests. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Second thing is if you don't hear anything else tonight, realize that you can rest in what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to struggle with it. You don't have to try to add anything to it, and you don't need to take anything away from it. You need to be sat. You need to. You need to be. You need to be content and satisfied that He has accomplished everything for you. Now, do we always live that way? No. Do we always rest in what He's done? No. We fall under condemnation because the enemy will remind us when we sin and come short. That's not rest. Condemnation is not rest. 
we put expectations on ourselves that we can't even live up to. And then we fail again and the enemy comes knocking and he, he knocks on our conscience's door and he says, see there, uh, you're a loser. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get anything right. What does Jesus have to do with you? What does he even see in you anyway? Well, part of what we call God's grace is accepting what Christ has done at face value and for what the book says it's done. Christ's sacrifice for you was a once for all thing. It happened before you were born, before you even thought about. It was finished and completed long, long, long ago. And when the Holy Spirit lets that light bulb come on in your heart and you begin to realize that and you begin to to trust the Lord for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your daily provision, for your health, for everything you have, when you begin to do that, then you begin to embrace the totality of this once-for-all sacrifice because it has more to do than just with salvation. Okay, let's go a little bit further. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now one of the things that you do hear from here occasionally that comes out in sermons and messages and teachings is the fact that in order for Christ's enemies to become his footstool, Jesus is going to have to use people to make that happen. You see, Jesus is in heaven right now. But he, he has, in his great plan, ordained that you and I can be his eyes, his ears, his hand, his heart, his feet, and the weapon in his hand to do war against the enemy. God has not designed it that we would be sick, that we'd be weak, that we would be defeated. He's not designed this thing that in any way we could lose. He's always designed it. And in his great plan, in the, in the sacrifice of Christ itself, he has He has built into it the fact that he has a bride taken by Christ who will do war for him and who will absolutely make his enemies his footstool. In other words, what we do walking in our our walk of victory, as we battle the enemy and as the enemy is defeated, Jesus just puts his feet up on that. He just kind of rests his feet. Y'all like to put your feet up on a stool? You know how much you love to just kick your feet up? When you kick your feet up, if you're in a chair, when you kick your feet up, you just there's something restful about that. As a matter of fact, it kind of makes your eyes heavy and you just want to take off and go to sleep. It feels good. Well, it's going to feel good with Jesus as we and when we make his enemies his footstool. It's going to feel good to him. I just thought I'd throw that in. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Next time you sin, and the enemy takes advantage of you, and he begins to condemn you, you need to, undermark, you need to underscore this, this verse of scripture right here and come back to it. 
Because it says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. You know, we can't get that. We absolutely and totally cannot get the principle behind that statement. We cannot get a hold of the truth that God will not remember our sins because every time we approach Him, every time we foul up, every time we say something we shouldn't, every time we think a bad thought, every time we involve ourselves in something we ought not to involve ourselves in, we cannot imagine... God not even remembering that after it's done. You see, the forgiveness of Christ is so thorough that even before it happens, if you commit a sin, the the second you commit that sin, God's forgot about it already. Now, it doesn't absolve you of the fact of going to him and, and purging your conscience and saying, God, forgive me of that. But I'm telling you, If you're covered by the blood of Christ and you belong to him, God, he doesn't remember your sins and your iniquities. And he's not going to hold that against you. See, that's what we can't can't get into our human mind, our, our Greek mentality. We cannot embrace the fact that God, by virtue of Christ's sacrifice, by virtue of God receiving that sacrifice as done and completed and perfected, we can't... We can't grasp the great truth that will liberate us and set us free that he doesn't remember our sin or our lawlessness. You ever been lawless? You ever been lawless after you've been saved? You ever sinned? Have you ever sinned after you've been saved? I'm telling you. This should not not make you think you have a license to sin. This rather should cause you and stimulate you to to live a, a more holy, sanctified life. But I'm telling you, if you sin before you get out of this place here, I'm tell- you can't get out the door without God forgetting about it. You can't do it. Does it make sense? Can you, can you just can you embrace that? Because if you can, it'll set you free. It'll just cause great things to happen in your spirit. <clears throat> this is kind of where I wanted to come to. <laughs> Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wow, that's a sentence. Now, I want to just stop and I want to put something in perspective before we go any further. In the darkest hour of your sin and of your need, Hebrews 10 declares to you the gospel of our living Lord. And regardless of how bad it is in your life, in terms of your morality or your character, your integrity, your identity of who you are, or who people think you are, even up to and including that, Regardless of how bad it is, I want you to understand that something has transpired in the animal annals of history that absolutely and totally frees you from all guilt, all responsibility, and all repercussion of your actions. And that thing is Christ himself and his sacrifice, his blood that's been shed. There's been a historical act that's recorded in history, secular history, and the history of the sacred word 
You've been forgiven. In your darkest hour, regardless of what comes your way, you've been forgiven. And you've been blessed. And you've been saved. And there is now at this present time reserved for you a place in heaven. That is an absolute, total fact. It cannot be changed. Regardless of your situation or your past, Christ changes all that. That's what the Hebrew culture and the Jewish culture in in their lost state can't grab. It's the truth that he's laid up for them because there is people. But the gospel door has been opened to the Gentiles and we rejoice in it too because we are fellow heirs with our brothers, the Jews. We've been grafted into their tree. They've not been grafted into our tree. We've been grafted into their tree. So in a spiritual sense, regardless of the darkness, remember the principle of Christ. Now, regardless of my sin, I have a room. Now I want you to start hearing this. This is what we're going to hammer at for the rest of our short time together. Regardless of my sin, I have a room I can go to. It's the throne room. It's the holy place. It's the place where I get everything I need. It's the place where I receive forgiveness. It's the place where I receive restoration. It's the place where I receive love. It's a place where I receive compassion. It's a place where I receive gentle strokes in my spirit. It's a place where I receive rest. It's a place where I receive joy and hope and gladness. It's a place where I am renewed. In the midst of my sin and my failures, I have a room. (laughs) I have a room. It's a place where I can... Steal away to just me and the king. And I've been given that right because of what Christ has done. Free access to God the Father because I've received Christ the Son. Free access. Instant access. You can be there like that quick. That's the great thing about being saved and spirit-filled. You can be there that quick change your life that quick now that is the fundamental principle of the gospel now there's a practical aspect of it too the practical aspect is this because of what Jesus has done because of his sacrifice and the blood he has shed I have a room for things other than just my spiritual needs. And I'm not belittling that, but I I have a room I can go to for something other than my spiritual needs. (laughs) Here's what I found hilarious today. For those of you who follow my life, my life is an open book. 
We've had, me and my family, we've had a, an interesting journey the last three or four years. And our life has changed in lots of different areas and in lots of different ways. And it's changed suddenly and quickly. Seems like the road's got a lot of corners to it. Blind curves. <laughs> you know? and, 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 and we're traveling down this road and, and things change suddenly. And sometimes it's been not real pleasant. And God, in, in my case, he's taken away a lot of things. Really, he's taken away a lot of things. And I'm not here to, to poor mouth or anything, but he's just taken away a lot of things. And, and I've been just been wondering, I said, God, what you doing here? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And sometimes he's been silent, but sometimes he's been loud. And uh, today, cut the tape for just a second. This don't need to go on tape. <laughs> we good? So now, if y'all want to know the little secrets that we have here, you're going to have to come and see it in person because we're not going to tell you everything we know, okay? <laughs> so in the midst of change, I have a room. In the midst of your 401k diminishing and dropping, you've got a room. Now, I said I was going to offend a lot of people. I, just, I, I need to address this because it's coming through loud and clear on every single conversation just about it that I have with people. People are worried about their money. That's one reason we're in the pickle we're in. I want to ask you a question. Just, I want to ask you a question. Don't throw anything at me. Just want to ask you a question. Has God ever promised you a 401k? Think about that. Did he promise you in the word a 401k? Or a stock portfolio? Think about it. Now I know this is, this is going somewhere that's not a lot of solace to you. If you've seen a 40% drop in your portfolio in the last month. <coughs> and I'm not going to laugh at you and I'm not going to make fun of it. But this is, I think this is for your good. So you listen, you bear with me till we get to the end of this, okay? I want you to know something. That in the midst of your 401k dropping in value, you have a room. Don't get many amens there. You know what God has promised me? He's promised me lands and houses and a, and a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm receiving that. He's promised to meet my daily need. And I'm going to tell you something. If you hadn't been to the place lately where you have to depend totally on God to meet your every daily need, then you're not really where God wants you to be yet. We live in a society that has banked on themselves and their own effort and their own engines and their own mechanisms to get what they need and what they want. There's nothing wrong with 401ks and stocks. Please don't get me wrong. Don't throw a rotten tomato at me. But I'm telling you now, the promises of God for your life is far better than a stinking 401k. 
It's better than every stock portfolio you could possibly ever have to want to muster. God's promises are yes and amen. They will not fail. And if you trust Him and you go through it and you let Him give you your daily bread, you'll never, ever, 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 ever be poor. Ever. But the minute you start relying on your own effort and somebody else's wisdom as to where to put your money, you're in bad shape. Bad shape. My God does not sit on Wall Street. His throne is not there. When my 401k is going bad, there's a room. When my health is going bad, there's a room. When my relationship with my wife or my children or my brother or my parents is going bad, I have a room. When the vehicle is tore up and won't run, I have a room. When gas last week was $3.60, I'm going to tell you, there was room in Douglas today. Gas was three oh seven at Walmart Douglas when we came through today. I was told today two eighty five in Brunswick. Yeah, today. That's what I was told. Let me tell y'all something. When things look bad and I've got twenty dollars that I need to put gas in my vehicle and I know that I really need forty to get to where I'm going. When when that happens, I got a room. I got a God that can take the gasoline fumes and make them expand and burn in my gasoline tank and make that thing go a long, long way. See, I got a God who does that. I got a room. When my faith is growing weak and I cannot even think about tonight, much less tomorrow, I got a room that is not dependent on my faith, but it is built by God's mercy and grace, which transcends my faith. I got faith, don't misunderstand me. But I got a room that's built on the mercy and grace of God, and that's bigger than my faith. Have you ever not been able to put one spiritual foot in front of the other? Just did not have the energy to pray? Ever been there? Maybe you're this giant of the faith, and you've never been there. But I'm here to tell you something. This old boy's been there. Matter of fact, I've been to the place where I didn't even care if I prayed or not. Caught this kind of attitude with God the Father who made the provision of Christ the Son for me so I could have room. And I cop, I cop an attitude with him and just say, I don't give a flip. You know? You ever been there? I'm going to tell you, I still got a room. Still got a room. And when I come out of the funk I'm in, I still got a room. <laughs> you ever been in that funk? If you ain't been in the funk yet, I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you 
because you got a double dose of fog coming. I'm serious. Because God deals with us as individuals and he's dealing with us as a nation. And I want you to know our nation has a room. I don't believe our nation came to be the great force that it is in the earth today. Simply by accident. I simply believe that unless the Lord build the house, they that labor in vain, and unless he built this country, it could never have attained the greatness that it has seen in its day. Our country has a room. And right now, our country needs a room because she's in a funk and she's built her own institutions and she's carried her own weight and she's killed babies and she's killing old people that we just don't know about yet. And she's arrogant and she's pompous and she has exported her pride and her sin to every corner of this globe and they have ate it up because it has been the model to shoot for. It has paid high dividends and now the foundation won't bear the weight of the iniquity that's on it and the fault that's been laid in the foundations. And you, 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 may, you may hate me for what I'm about to say but I'm going to tell you this country needs to be in the fire a little bit. There's not a nation on this earth that can defeat us. But we have sown the seeds of our own destruction in the walls of our tabernacle. And unless we change, unless we repent, and unless we search out again the old ways, the pathways of holiness and righteousness. Unless, unless we can put our ear into the spirit realm and our eyes into the spirit realm and actually detect and discern what the, what the heart and the mind of God is and begin to implement it, I just think there's going to be a further slipping away. Because, see, God's going to let us have any way we go. But I, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing that we still have a room. And there's people that's going to go into that room for this nation and I believe we're going to have redemption and we're going to have restoration, but it's going to be a painful process. I'm going to be honest with you. We need that. We need that. We, we need that real bad. I need that as an individual sometimes. And I think nations need it. You know, why do you think God sent Jonah to Nineveh? That was, that was the most wicked, barbaric, nasty place in the whole earth. And he sent a prophet in there to preach repentance. The king heard, and the king declared a fast, not only for the people, but for the animals as well. And God heard their cries, and he spared them because he had a room for them. Y'all, we need that room. We need the place of access. We need to go there. See, in all these practical matters, I have a room. You know, sister's going to have a baby here. She's got a room. She's got a room. We've got a lot of teachers in our congregation. You have a room. You know, my hat's off to you. You've got a room. 
You know, when you go back to school Monday, you've got a room. Emergency personnel dealing with life and death situations, you've got a room. Moms raising the kids while dad's away at work, you got a room. Use it. Have a place of access. Use it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to the confession of your hope and your faith. Because he is faithful. I want you to know it doesn't depend on you. There are responsibilities and there's there's demands and expectations that that God has an ideal for. But I'm here to tell you something. Your destiny, your inheritance, God's got it covered. He's faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now that day is not the day of assembly, and it's not the Sabbath. It has a capital D, and it's the day of judgment. Do you hear me? It's the day of judgment. There is going to come a day when the room is going to be closed, but it's not today. There's going to come a time when the door is going to be shut and it's over, but it's not today. If you're here and you have no hope, I want you to know today is not that day. There is a room. You know what God wants us to do? <laughs> It's so, he says it right here. Stir one another up to love and good works. The highest obligation you have to God, number one, is to obey Him. The highest obligation we have to each other is to love each other. That condenses it down into a definition that anybody can understand. I'm telling y'all, I've said it before, I said it again, it's not hard. This thing is simple. There is a room for you. And all he wants us to do is love each other. But we find that so hard to do sometimes. Is it easy to love the person that you're married to? Is it easy to love your kids? Is it easy to love the neighbor who lives across the fence or next door in the apartment to you? Is it easy to love your boss? It's not, it's not even easy for me to love the dog some days. And you know what I've discovered? It's not got anything to do with the dog, but it's got everything to do with me. So if you find, in most cases, it's hard for you to love somebody, you need to look at yourself first and see what the problem is there before you start putting the guilt and the fault on their doorstep. And we should do it even the more as we see the day of judgment approaching. Because that day's coming. If you're here today... And you've never received Jesus. But you've heard the hope of the gospel of his salvation. And you've heard the truth and the spirit of God is just tweaking you on the inside. 
And if he's convinced you that you have a room, when this is over, I want you to see me. Okay? I want you to see me. Because you have a room. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you so much. We bless your name. We thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus and what he's done. We thank you, Lord, we have a room, a place to go to where we can have access to you and everything that you've provided for. So, Lord, here we are. And use us and provoke us, Lord, to love each other and to engage in good works. Most of all, Lord, just to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.